Welcome to the Ortho Eval Pal podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now, for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 222 of the Ortho Eval Pal podcast. I am your host, Paul Marquis, and today we're going to be doing a little question and answer session regarding the cervical spine. We've had a few folks from our audience ask uh, a few questions, and we're going to be talking about mechanical irritation to the cervical facets, and we'll also be discussing the non-surgical treatments of cervical spine nerve root compression. But before we get started, I'd like to just take a moment to hear a word from our sponsors. At MedCore Professionals, we offer mobility aids, bracing and supports, compression garments, post-mastectomy care, and much more. Your health and well-being are important to us. Your recovery is our priority. Our certified team will guide you to the right products based on your medical needs, recent procedures, or mobility restrictions. Visit us on Route 1 in Scarborough or at MedCorePro.com. We are Mark and Kelly Hassett, owners of MedCore. And we keep you moving forward. This episode is sponsored by MedBridge. Harnessing the power of technology to help you advance your career and improve patient outcomes, MedBridge delivers over 2,000 evidence-based CE courses and more than 7,000 specialized patient exercises available whenever you need them from wherever you are. MedBridge goes beyond CEUs. They're leading the space. From interactive webinars led by top industry leaders to the first ever HEP patient mobile app, MedBridge has taken learning to the next level for over 200,000 PTs, OTs, ATs, SLPs, and nurses, and those they serve. For a limited time, use promo code OEP to receive $175 off your annual subscription. Welcome back, everyone. So it's a brisk minus 14 degrees today in northern Maine. I'll tell you what, it's not a great day to be out in your Speedo. Um, It has been super cold up here the last couple days and, uh, you know, really a great day to do some podcasting and uh, to stay inside. It's like 30 degrees below zero with the wind chill factor. So um, great day to be inside. So happy to be here with you today. And, um, you know, before we get started, I just want to throw out a super huge thank you for all of those of you who have been sending some Apple podcast ratings and reviews. Um Hussman 4, Kara from Vermont, Jordan C. from Phoenix, Arizona, Hula Hoop at 52, and Top Review 97. Uh, I've been just blown away. I can't even go over all of these because they're so lengthy. And thank you so much for taking the time to give me this feedback. It's really uh, why I continue to do uh, what I'm doing. So thank you all so much for the, the kind remarks. I really, really appreciate it. All right, so back to the meat and potatoes. Uh, First question comes from The Whisperer, and the question is, can mechanical irritation occur in isolation or as a consequence of of another condition such as osteoarthritis or degenerative disc or degenerative joint disease? And what would the treatment be? So... That's a great question, and um, it can be both. You know, you can see it in isolation, um, and you can see it with folks who have had a history of uh, some arthritic conditions, especially of the facets. But to be honest with you, I generally see uh, these types of episodes in young, in the younger population, um, and the presentation is usually a sudden onset. These folks are very point tender to the facets. 
you'll see an isolated pain with the Sperling's test. So when you're doing that Sperling's test and you're closing up the facets, you're compressing them, you're also closing that lateral foramen, um, that can cause an irritation. Now, if somebody has significant nerve root compression, that pain will radiate down the arm, into the chest, into the scapula, cause some paresthesia, cause some pain. But if it is a facet issue, it will be very isolated. They'll put a finger right on where it hurts and usually right over that facet. So rarely is there ever radiculopathy down the arm when you perform a Sperling's test um, with somebody who has an isolated mechanical uh, facet dysfunction. Uh, usually there's no loss of deep tendon reflexes or strength when you have a facet irritation like that. It's, it's not the same as nerve root compression. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the nerve root compression in the second question here also. Um, so how do you treat these, you know, uh, isolated facet irritations? Well, Number one, you want to decrease pain and you want to decrease spasm because these things are so acutely painful. And, and you see these folks, they, they turn their whole body to look to one side. They can't look up toward the ceiling. Generally, they're in kind of a flexed cervical spine position. They might even be tilted off to the opposite side, just trying to open up that facet. Um, so I like to decrease pain, decrease spasm right away. So that might be uh, is some interferential current, uh, some moist heat, some ultrasound, just to get everything calmed down around that area. Now, remember, just because it's an acute flare-up doesn't mean you can't heat it, okay? And I find that people really relax well with the heat because, remember, that facet joint is very, very deep. And moist heat and ice don't penetrate any more than about you know, two centimeters max. And, but you can get a relieving effect and an antispasmodic effect from using moist heat. So that can be comfortable for them. Um, I'll then educate the patient on avoiding impingement of the facet. So don't do a lot of looking up or looking to the same side where you cause some rotation or lateral flexion. Uh, avoid holding a telephone on that same side um, between your ear and your shoulder. And uh, just kind of avoid those irritating activities. Typically, people who have acute facet flare-ups get better in about three to four days, okay? Um, but if they come in and it may last a little longer than that, sometimes they just need a little boost. Uh, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory can help decrease some of that inflammation. And then I like to really treat these manually. I'll do a lot of mild suboccipital release. I'll do some soft tissue mobilization of the surrounding posterior cervical spine muscles just to get them to relax a little bit. I'll definitely avoid that facet. I'm not going to be pushing and putting pressure on that. Um, I then will take the patient um, while they are on their back. I'll put a roll underneath their knees just to get their, their lumbar spine in a more relaxed position, more neutral position. Um, do a little effort substitution with them. Uh, I'll take that cervical spine and I will flex it manually a little bit. I might even laterally flex them to the opposite side just to open up that facet joint just to cause a little bit of a joint mobilization there get some blood flow to the area but not impinge it okay so I'll work completely to the opposite side and slowly work back into the um, position of discomfort and each session I'll try to get closer and closer to that position so we can start to gain more motion um, I will then you know start to work on some deep cervical spine activation exercises. So remember, it's not about how strong you can get those deep cervical spine flexors. It's about how well can you turn them on because don't forget, you know, most people have an accentuated cervical lordosis and when you look forward, if you have a rounded 
thoracic kyphotic type posture, it's going to close up those facets and cause even more irritation. So I try to get the shoulders back a little bit and uh, the chin tucked just a little bit just to open up those facets so they're not so uncomfortable. I slowly start to work uh, toward that painful range, like I said, you know, first with rotation because that's the least irritating to the facets. Just because of the way the facets are oriented, it's kind of like a plate on a plate in a more horizontal position, unlike the lumbar spine where they are more upright, you know, uh, vertically oriented. Um, and then ultimately I want to work on increasing thoracic mobility so that the cervical spine doesn't have to work so hard. Um, then I get into, you know, a pretty hefty thoracic kyphosis reduction program, you know, stretching of the pecs, pec major, pec minor, and then strengthening of the periscapular musculature, um, which I think is really, really important. Um, so that is kind of how I would work on, um, you know, an isolated facet issue. Uh, like I said, you know, often enough, there are many ways to get from point A to point B, and uh, this is kind of how I like to treat that. Um, so if you have any questions, please feel free to get in touch with me. The link to uh, my contact information is in the show notes, so easy enough to get in touch if you have questions about that. So question number two comes from R. Lee, and um, the question is, what are the non-surgical treatments for cervical nerve root compression? Now, I think I've done like 10 different podcasts on identifying different levels and how to treat this. And, uh, you know, I really break it down. But I think that it, it this was a good time to bring this up because it is slightly different than uh, a facet issue. And it's important that you identify the difference between a facet problem and a, an isolated nerve root compression problem in the cervical spine. Um, so... Today, when I explain how I break this up and how I treat it, remember, I am going to talk to you about why I treat it the way I treat it. There are many ways to get from point A to point B. And, um, you know, people can be very successful using different modalities and different techniques. Um, I think that if we just get back to the basics, uh, a lot of people will get better on their own, okay? And we know that people with large herniated discs uh, can sometimes do very well conservatively and not have to be treated surgically. And uh, the, the literature really shows that, and I've seen this over the years, over many, many years of seeing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cervical spine dysfunction patients, um, you know, we see that they can get better. But let's talk about, you know, how you would treat this conservatively and, um, you know, when should you not treat it conservatively. So what are the things that you are looking for? What do you have in that patient when they present to you? Do they have radiating pain down the arm? Is there uh, paresthesia going down the arm? Is there a loss of reflex, C5, C6, C7? Um is there some weakness, okay? Or do you have wrist extensor weakness, C6, or tricep weakness, C7? Uh, you know, and then you identify those areas of weakness. Do these people get relief, immediate relief with traction? Do they get stronger when they are uh, getting manual traction or mechanical traction, okay? So the marquee maneuver, and I'll link that video in the show notes today so you can see how I utilize that to identify what level the nerve root compression is at, but also it helps me identify if a patient will do well post-surgically or not. Um, and so what is the treatment to nerve root compression in the cervical spine? So the, the one thing I want to do is I want to offload and decrease the two irritants to the nerve root, okay, which is a chemical irritation, number one, and number two, a mechanical irritation. So what is that chemical irritation? Well, your disc uh, may have torn and, and it is herniated. You have this um, 
you know, inflammation and swelling that occurs in the area. And that is your chemical irritation that can really tweak that nerve. And some people don't even have nerve root physical nerve root compression, but can have what looks like, you know, significant nerve root compression with pain down the arm, some weakness, some paresthesia, and it is all chemically related. And these folks can do well with a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. Um, these folks do really well with a steroid taper and medrol dose pack. Uh, you know, I, I don't prescribe this. I might recommend it. Um, there are certain people who should not take these medications, so I always run it by their physicians first. But we have seen a really, really high success rate in decreasing the pain from nerve root compression uh, with a medrol dose pack or a steroid taper. So that helps to really settle down that chemical irritation. Another way to help settle down that chemical irritation is with a cervical spine injection. So some people undergo injections um, and they can be very helpful. They're very, very direct and, and you know they really hit the spot well to decrease that swelling and inf inflammation. Sometimes it's all it takes. But there are a lot of people out there with mechanical irritation. So your nerve root is actually being pushed on by something. It could be um, it could be disc material. It could be a hypertrophied facet, a spur off the facet. The foramen could be closing up and just squeezing on that nerve, causing you know radiculopathy uh, down the arm and and some claudication. And you know these people will come into your office. Sometimes you'll be talking to them and they'll rest their forearm on top of their heads just to take that nerve root compression off and uh, that's a positive Bacotti sign and um, you know you know recognize that when you see your patient and so the the other thing you know is if they're having some mechanical irritation then you need to do something mechanically to decrease that irritation, okay? And so I always start with mechanical traction. I might do some soft tissue mobilization um, to help relax those muscles first. I might put them in a little bit of cervical spine flexion uh, and then do some manual traction to give them some relief. Uh, you know, I, I always start with that first. If they do well with that, um, then what I will do is I will set them up with a mechanical traction unit and uh, I like the cervical, the Saunders cervical traction unit. I used it in my study for the marquee maneuver, and uh, it's been kind of my traction of choice uh, for the last 25 years. It's just, it's comfortable. It's easy to use. Patients can take it home. They can use it at home. We have a loaner unit that we let patients try. And what I tell them is that, you know, if if they do it three times a day, 15 to 20 minutes each time for three or four days and things are coming around and they're having a little less pain, a little less paresthesia, and they're starting to show a little improvement in strength, then we are definitely headed in the right direction. Then I might have them purchase a unit for at home so that they continue using it uh, on a regular basis. So as they start to feel better, um, I will then start to incorporate some rotation exercises of the cervical spine um, because the facets allow rotation better. Usually once the rotation starts to come around and they're having less discomfort, the lateral flexion and extension starts to improve. Uh, I really try to avoid cervical spine extension. Uh, you know, you, you put these people on a table, you lay them flat on their backs, and they just, like, go wild. The, the arm is killing them. The scapula's hurting. It's a deep, aching pain. They just want to come right up off the table. And so I try to avoid that extension of the cervical spine. And, um, you know, we, we talk about the McKenzie approach to treating this, and sometimes it just doesn't work for certain things because you're just getting that, that compression that you can't get away from. So I try to decompress that a little bit. 
when they continue to get better, I start to activate the deep cervical flexors just to get them into better posture. And that is done in conjunction with a thoracic kyphosis reduction program. So I'm really huge on starting on the kyphosis reduction right away. It doesn't matter if it's a facet problem or if it's a herniated disc or a significant nerve root compression. I always start to work on that periscapular strengthening as long as they are comfortable and can tolerate that. Um, a home traction unit uh, can can go home with them. And, you know, these people, sometimes I've had patients go 15, 20 years and say, you know, I've had the, the traction unit and I used to use it, you know, once a day, then I went to once a week, then I went to once a month. And then, you know, I, I had an episode where my arm started to bother me a little bit. I got in the traction and it, and it helped and it went away and I was good. So people will do it as needed and uh, that can be very helpful for them. And then the other thing we need to consider more now is, you know, ergonomic modification, both at home and at work. So, you know, people are working from home a lot more. They're in bad positions, you know, sitting down at their with their, you know, on the couch with the laptop on their lap and they're looking down all the time. Um, so, you know, ergonomically looking at what their day is like can really help decrease that, uh, that amount of pressure on the disc that is pushing it posteriorly all the time. And then if people start to do better, but continue to have this residual like paresthesia and maybe occasional pain in the arm, I will test uh, their nerve gliding ability. And if that is not great, then I'll just slowly start them into uh, some nerve gliding for, you know, radial, medial, and and, uh, median and nerve uh, and ulnar nerve gliding and it's just amazing the the response I get from that because sometimes if they're not utilizing that arm as much that neural tissue is not gliding as well and uh, they can end up with some secondary issues that look like a radiculopathy problem coming from the nerve root but it's not uh, and these uh, these folks can do really well with that but I always start them you know really gently with that because if you push it too hard you can definitely be too sore and then cardiovascular reconditioning is always a huge piece I find that uh, it doesn't really matter if I have somebody with a lumbar a herniated disc or a facet problem in the cervical spine they are all placed on a cardiovascular reconditioning program um, just to get some blood flow going to those areas uh, and increase their heart rate a little bit and I find that to be super helpful also. So again, there are many different ways to treat these issues. Um, I, I like to explain why I like to treat them the way I treat them. And um, I continue to do it that way because I've had success doing it that way because of the number of people that I've seen. And so uh, you'll learn a lot from your mistakes when you're young. I hope that by me talking about these through podcasting and through my videos on YouTube, uh, which we just hit uh, 450 of, uh, that, that I can take my experiences, give them to you so that you can cut that bell curve down, that learning curve down a little bit uh, and um, get to better treatment and better diagnoses faster. Um, so hope you enjoyed today's show, folks. I know it was a little bit lengthy. We put a lot into uh, one show, but uh, feel free to send me your questions for the show. And uh, don't forget to uh, check out our YouTube channel, our website. Uh, we have a lot of resources uh, to help you learn more and uh, to feel more comfortable with your orthopedic evaluation skills. So again, folks, thank you. Take care and be kind to each other. We hope you've enjoyed the show. For some more awesome content, go to orthoevalpal.com. Can't wait to see you there.